Welcome to Beyond the Veil with Daniel Jackson, the podcast where we head down the road of the supernatural and beyond. So sit back and hold on as we take a ride together to what lies in the unknown and beyond the veil. You wake up to a pitch black bedroom. You cannot move. A nefarious black shadow begins to walk slowly, ominously towards your bed. You try to scream, but nothing comes out. Has this ever happened to you? If it has, you are not alone. Most people describe the experience as terrifying and attribute it to some sort of paranormal or demonic experience. But what most sufferers of sleep paralysis really want to know is, what is it really? Why are these entities targeting me and how can I stop it? Beyond the Veil with Daniel Jackson presents guest host, author and speaker, Vicki Joy Anderson. Vicki Joy graduated from University of Northwestern in St. Paul, Minnesota, majoring in Bible and English studies with a writing emphasis. After many years in corporate management, Vicki Joy stepped out in faith to become a full-time author and speaker. Hello and welcome to Beyond the Veil with Daniel Jackson. Me, I'm your host, Daniel Jackson, and today we have on our show Vicki Joy Anderson. Vicki Joy Anderson, um, you are, I would say, uh, an expert in sleep paralysis, correct? I would say 47 years of personal experience as well as 15 years of research and spent the last three years writing some of my thoughts, more to come. <laughs> in a book. <laughs> Some of your thoughts. How come you didn't write all of your thoughts? Oh, they're coming. They're coming. But I I didn't want to do like a, a Tolkien Lord of the Rings trilogy. So sure. You know. Yeah. I don't blame you. I no. just uh, wrote my first book also. And it's uh, 138 pages. So because I mean, it could have been more, but uh, I I got right to the point. So I didn't have to Absolutely. Worry, worry about making somebody fall asleep in the middle of reading my book. You know, who wants to do that? But uh, <laughs> So uh, explain to my audience exactly what is sleep paralysis. Sure. Well, you know, the the general narrative that you'd get if you went on a Google search and if you went online, which may or may not be the, the best way to do thorough research, but the general narrative out there now is that it is either some sort of a medical condition, a form of narcolepsy, <clears throat> a sleep disorder. You, you have all sort of uh, adjectives to describe it that would lead the average person to believe that it was simply and only some sort of a medical or physiological experience that can be cured with uh, stress relieving techniques and meditation and uh, medication and uh, following a circadian rhythm and not sleeping on your back and all of these little, you know, various talismans that you can apply. But Sure, um, sure. But many people who have experienced it, and people have been experiencing it for thousands of years, it's in documented history in the medical books as far back as the 17th century, but in esoteric books, it goes back much further than that. There's several references of it in the Bible, as well as extra and parabiblical texts as well. Um, for, so for the, the tens, if not hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people that have experienced this all over the globe for thousands of years, uh, they would say that there is a mystical or supernatural or a demonic component to it, depending on what their worldview is and what adjective that they choose. But sure. they ascribe that there is an ominous presence or an evil or or something almost, almost transformative. Uh, people will talk uh, who have had this experience about the effect that it has on their psyche as well as their soul. 
Would you say that uh, they've been taught that is an evil presence because they've been taught whatever it is that is, is evil? What What's interesting is I don't even think that it's necessarily taught. I think it's instinctive because with the people that I've talked to, um, many of whom do not ascribe to any sort of a biblical or a Christian worldview at all. Many There's even atheists and people who would not... Um, People who aren't don't have their nose in in the D three, you know, the the dictionary of deities and demons. Uh, people will instinctively use the adjectives evil and demonic when they describe this experience, and it is completely divorced from anything that they may or may not believe biblically. Sure, but the but they've been taught uh, the word evil. They uh, they understand what the word evil is, or they've been taught demonic because they didn't just come up with that word. I mean. We're all born into this world. We come in as babies, you know, and your mom sure. and dad's right above you going, I'm your mom and dad. You're going, I don't know who the hell you are, but okay. And then uh, they yeah. raise you. And and we learn how to do these things. We we learn fear. We learn all this stuff because, you know, come into this world as a, as a pure pure uh, of a pure heart child. And, and then all of a sudden, next thing you know, they throw a bucket of bleach over top of us and teach us all this uh, lies and deception. So, yes. So using words that they have learned, they, they most typically do whether regardless of religious persuasion, people right. will use the words evil and yeah, evil's evil. Doesn't has nothing to do with any of them with religious. It's just, if you're a horrible person or an evil person or an evil entity, you just are because you choose to be that way. That's all. Mm. But, uh, but yeah, so, and, and, so I, I would have to imagine you have uh, 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 interviewed uh, quite a few people on this as well. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. About thirty-six or so of them made it into the book, either by a quote or their story or one of their stories. There's an entire appendix at the end of the book just filled with people's stories. But in addition to that, you know, I've been interviewing and counseling a lot of people since the publication of the book as well, uh, as well as a lot of research that I've done that didn't make it into the book. But um, I find it interesting that we are in this kind of amazing era of disclosure now, where things that we couldn't really talk about openly, you know, 40 years ago without being deemed crazy yeah, uh, with, with the influx now. Uh, yeah. With the internet and Gaia.com and the cable network shows there, there's, there's just this open door now for experiencers to talk about their experiences. And it doesn't mean that the gaslighting is completely stopped. Yeah. No. It doesn't mean that the gas <laughs> is completely stopped, but, but what it does mean is that there is now an entire realm of people that you can access via the internet who will, yeah will listen and who will believe you and who will say, I've had that too. And so, you know, everybody talks about the hive mind, <clears throat> sci-fi kind of nefarious way, but yeah. there's also a hive mind where all of us who have had these experiences now can can realize I'm not the only one. I'm not crazy. There are other people that have had these exact same experiences and now we can exchange notes. Yep. Yep. And that's what, that's uh, basically uh, the uh, basis of, of my book, even though it's a story about me and stuff like that. But uh, what I tell people in that book is if you're having these types of things go on, you need to go out and find your people. You know, I mean, there's a reason there's there's seven and a half, eight billion of us out there. Someone else is experiencing the same thing you are. You just And not just in the type of things that I do, but anything in your life, you can reach out and find someone and don't feel that you're ever alone in this world because you're not. So and is that the reason why that um, based on that is the reason why you wrote the book itself? Yeah, I think so. You know, it had never dawned on me to write a book on this topic, even though I, I mean, I'm a writer by, by trade. That's what I do. That's why I went to college to, to get a degree in and, 
ever since I was 10 years old, I wanted to be a writer. So why it never really dawned on me to write about something that I had 47 years personal experience in is it's sort of beyond me. But I think what happened is um, I did not realize until my mid thirties that anyone else in the world had ever had this experience. I, I just did not understand. In fact, I didn't even hear the term sleep paralysis until I was in my mid thirties. And that was after I had gone through this for, you know, 30 years. And so uh, it was an amazing epiphany for me when I found out this thing has a name and there's millions of people out there throughout the course of time that have experienced this. And so when I started reaching for, you know, you know, discovery as to like, you know, there's the, there's the main questions, like, what are these things? Why, what's their motive? What's their goal? And why specifically are they targeting me? And then can I get it to stop? And so I just think it would be cruel to come up with answers to a lot of those questions, knowing that there's other people out there that are looking for them and then just say, well, I'm going to just keep this to myself. And so um, I kind of felt like the onus was on me at that point to, to share some of these things. I've come up with. Sure, because uh, again, there there are some people out there who just, you know, uh, are not able to write these types of things down or at least come out with a book. Whereas there are some people, as I always tell people, there's some of us are meant to be teachers, others are just meant to be students. That's all. Yeah. Well, and it's extremely vulnerable, as I'm sure that you know. Um, you know, we live in a society where people give up personal information all the time. I mean, yeah. the yeah. social media, you know, <laughs> you know, every moment of the day, your friend sneezes or uses the restroom, you know, and so it's kind of like an overabundance of, of, of personal information. But there, there are still a lot of people out there, myself included, rather introverted, rather private. And I don't go around sharing every little detail of my life with right. everyone to, to not only put out a book with so much of your own heart and life into it but but that it is a topic that historically has gotten people thrown into mental institutions and put on psychotropic medication <laughs> that's oh, yeah, I mean, you really yeah. wear your heart on your when you say that you've been through these things and so it was not an easy decision <clears throat> not one of these like hey i'm a writer i found this great topic it's going to sell a million books it's going to make me right yeah it was a so, difficult book to write because you you literally set yourself up just to be you know um, gaslit basically yeah. um, because I find that even with everything being disclosed you know with, we can talk openly now um, because of the internet we can talk about UFOs we can talk about you know Atlantean societies we can talk about the pyramids and we can talk about all of these ancient esoteric things we can talk about the occult but when when you talk about sleep paralysis and being a abducted by an alien, which are two different distinct, but somewhat similar abduction experiences. For some reason, you still, you can talk about it, but once you start trying to explain it, or you start explaining supernatural aspects of it, or mystical aspects of it, or biblical aspects of it, or spiritual aspects of it, then the the yellow police tape comes out and that now you've gone too far. So you can talk about it, yeah. but don't start opining on, on anything spiritual. Yeah. If you open up too much about it, it's like, uh, it's like handing someone the keys to a jet airplane and say, okay, here you go, fly it. And you're, they're like, what? What do you mean? You know, they, they don't know how to figure that out. And yeah, and usually what people don't understand, they are afraid of right away. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> unfortunately, oh, yeah. Absolutely. yeah, they, they deer in the headlights uh, type of look at you like, mm, I don't know what you're saying is a, because, but uh, again, we've always been taught that these things are, you know, these are something we should be in fear of, or these are not, this is not the truth. And, uh, but then again, you know, 
everything that's out there on the internet and TV and movies is, of course, the truth. Right. No. Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 not <laughs> at all. But uh, so what, what, what beyond the people that you have, um, you have interviewed yourself, what kind of experiences were you going through yourself with this? Yeah. So by comparison, when now the more I hear other people's stories, I'm thinking, okay, I probably had it good. So fortunately, I didn't see a lot of things. I didn't have a lot of the aggressive things where I was, you know, being molested or raped or ripped out of my bed or banged up against the wall and good. <laughs> I mean, and things like wants that. to go through that. Yeah. <laughs> Waking up with scratches and like that. I think what made mine so traumatic was that it started so early. It started it, my earliest memory of it was three years old. And um, I, I have pretty good recall of my childhood because I was I was in the hospital all the time. I was having reconstructive surgeries from 10 days old until I was about 15 or 16. And so if there's a trauma attached to a memory, you can remember it a lot more clearly. Absolutely. And so because I was in the hospital having all these surgeries, there's a lot of things that I, I remember from two and three years old. Uh, I'd say two and a half um, is probably where where I have good recall to. But anyway, with that said, um, what what made mine I think traumatic is that it was frequent. It it occurred night after night, sometimes for weeks. It would go away for maybe a month or two, that it would come back, and this went on for twenty three years. Um, and then it did go away for quite a while, at least in its most classical iteration. I've I've always had. Even when it's not sleep paralysis, I've always had very vivid dreams to the point where when I wake up, I'm kind of more tired than I went to bed. Just a very sure. active and and a, a lot well, of times when I wake up, my dreams are very coherent. You know, I mean, I have silly like dreams like everybody else too, but a lot of times, you know, um, you wake up just kind of exhausted from the dream state and and um if, if any of that is is astral where it's not actually a dream but you're being pulled into the astral and i've never intentionally gone to the astral it's not anything i've ever sought out but when you are a a, a ti or a targeted individual with the sleep paralysis very often you will just in your dreams you'll find yourself there and um those dreams are also just they're very intense and take a lot out of you and so yeah. With me, it was just the frequency of of the experiences that just became exhausting over the course of off and on for 40 years, uh, probably 47 to uh, to be exact. I keep forgetting how old I am. I'm in I'm in denial, like, <laughs> but but um, the rest of us, that's okay. yeah, right. But um, so about about three about three years old on, and so what what my experience was was pretty much the classic experience that you would hear a lot of people. Um, Yet I never had the, like, I never felt like something was sitting on my chest or choking me or like had trouble breathing. I never had any of those respiratory aspects of it, Um, but I had all of the vibrations. So I would have the auditory hallucinations, um, voices, uh, the, the helicopter popping in your ear that was like the, the separation of the either the soul or the light body or the astral body, whatever you want to call it in, in your research or your worldview. But um, when, when it starts to pull up into the astral, it's a very ominous, loud vibrational sound. And when I had sleep paralysis, the sound was actually the most terrifying thing to me because it was usually the, you know, the tolling of the bells that I knew what was coming next. And so it, it would kind of prep me for, Oh no, it's happening again. And I never saw any of the entities in the room, but I could tell you at every moment where they were and if they were moving and uh, 
I could tell if it was like a male or a female energy. I could tell if there was more than one of them. I could tell if they were in, because they, they, they can emit different emotions in you. They can try to evoke fear or they can also evoke like eroticism. Like some people talk about the incubus and the succubus, but they can also invoke a, a um, like a mocking, taunting, impish sort of, of an experience. And so that was also a part of it with me um, because I was in the hospital so much as a kid and I was having a lot of surgeries on my face. That So I would go to school and I would have stitches on my face and there'd still be dried blood. And so um, imagine, you know, the way kids handled that and the teasing. And so it, it was like the one place I should have felt safe in, in my childhood would have been in my own bedroom, you know, right. in asleep, you know, in my warm bed with my stuffed animals, you know, that should have been my safe little place as a kid. Um, but even at night, you know, when I was away from school and I was away from the kids and I was away from the hospital, these things would come into my room at night and they would terrify me or they would just, there was always like a mocking and a taunting to it as well. And so uh, it just kind of added a whole new layer of that trauma that was already occurring in in childhood. So um, that was kind of my experience. And um, I have during my waking hours um, encountered the shadow men and the hat men and, and things like that, but it has not occurred during the sleep paralysis experience, but I am familiar with, with the entities. Yeah, I've seen the uh, the hat man before. I saw him in my uh, <clears throat> in my basement. Uh, that uh, my my cat was down in the basement. I went to get him downstairs, and I said, "Come on, buddy!" And he looked at me, and he looked to his right, and I looked to my left, and this wall of blackness appeared, and the hat man just walked out, and he had this big wide hat and this long coat, and I couldn't see his face, but I could see his features of him. But when he was walking across the floor. He didn't have any feet, which was kind of strange. But, but, and I say that that was the strange part for me because I've seen spirit my entire life. It was just kind of one of those things where I just kind of followed him and watched him go through the room, and then he went through the wall, and then that was it. Then I turned around, and that wall of blackness just disappeared, and yeah, that was my experience with him then. But I, I still see him on a regular basis, uh, like at least once a month, but. Uh, it doesn't bother me. <laughs> I know why he's yeah. here. So uh, he, he's just investigating. They they come through. They're investigators. They're tr trying to check us out and see what's going on with us because a lot of the stuff that we have going on here, they don't have going on in his dimension, and they want to know how we do it. So what do mm. you think they do? They come in here to, to take a look around and uh, and look very deeply. Uh, but, uh, yes, I mean, hey, so – when you were a child, did this cause you to ever try not to go to sleep? Did you ever try to do that or even still up into your adult life as well? Yes. Yeah. I, I don't know that I realized consciously that that's what I was doing. Right. Uh, but as, as I got older and I had more of a choice as to when I could go to bed, obviously when you're a kid and you get sent to bed, you, you, you gotta go. But 
um, as I got older, my my bedtime routine got later and later and later and sure. later. And I became, and to this day, I've been trying for the last several years to get on a nice circadian rhythm, you know, just for health and energy sake. And it seems almost impossible to go to bed before too. And I don't even have these experiences anymore. I've kind of, um, I've dealt with them and I've, I've, I've gotten to the bottom of it and I've gotten rid of it. But when you've stayed up till two or three in the morning, your whole entire life, it's really hard to, to, to knock that cycle. And sure. with a lot of people that have this experience on a regular basis, it does affect sleep and they do become insomniacs. And, and it's, it's tough because lack of sleep, when you have to go to school or work the next day, it, it starts to affect your health and it starts to affect your performance and your relationships. And so um, a lot of people think, well, you know, Hey, what's the big deal? Sleep paralysis. It just lasts like five, 10, 15 minutes and you're done and get over it. Like, don't be such a baby, but there there are attachments and there's various things going on that uh, follow you throughout the day. If you don't know the proper ways to close the doors. And um, right. I always tell people, it's kind of like um, with a Ouija board, you know, you're told um, and I, for the record, I don't mess with them, but you're, you're told. I, I tell people not to, I, I don't touch them, but with a Ouija board, you're taught that you have to end every session. You have to close it out. You have to say goodbye. Right. And the reason a lot of people have after effect issues with those things is because they're kids. They don't really know what they're doing. They see or they they have a uh, terrifying experience or like something shows up or it's something spooks them and then they run out of the room. And so right. they, they don't close that session out. And sure. what they so, should have done is not opened it in the first place. I, I absolutely agree. <laughs> They're opening a door. They have no idea what they're doing. So Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's the same thing with sleep paralysis. Like even if you haven't provoked it, uh, when, when that door is open, you, it's not just enough to like get the situation to stop. Right. It, after it stopped, you have to close that door. You have to close that session, so to speak. And I think that's why so many people, and I don't know why it took me this long to figure it out. It took me a, a very long time to figure out that whenever I had sleep paralysis, it would affect me usually for two or three days. I would, I would feel all throughout the day, like, like off and, and ominous. And, and, you know, then I'd be afraid of my room and I'd be looking under the bed. And, and so, um, when I realized like, oh, you know, there's some sort of a door open or an attachment, I have to kind of close that session out. Then when I would be done with the sleep paralysis experience, it wouldn't follow me into the next day or into the school day or, or, or whatever. So, um, and, and I talk a lot in the book, there's a whole chapter about threshold covenants and astral vampires. And it's very much on this topic of how uh, there's deep significance to why many of these shadow men and sleep paralysis entities where the sleep paralysis experience starts with the entity at the bedroom door. And of course, this isn't always the case. Sometimes people see things hovering up in the corner sure. of, their, of the ceiling. They're going to come in where they decide to come in. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, UFO experiences tend to be window related and they've yeah. obviously got people that wake up with it already on their chest. But many of the experiences, and at least for me, um, people will tell their story and it'll start about where I woke up and I looked and there was this thing at my bedroom door. And there is um, uh, deep significance to that. The door is a liminal space and all sorts of our uh, mythologies about vampires, crossroads, all these liminal spaces, these these places where the veil between the terrestrial and the spiritual realms are thin and where these entities can cross and where we can cross um, are in these, these liminal spaces. And so the whole like meeting the devil at the crossroads, selling your soul to the devil at the crossroads, the crossroads is a, a liminal space. And 
um, with the doorway, it is, it is the same thing. It's a threshold. And so I have an entire chapter on threshold covenants, which are just a part of antiquity. They kind of fell out of, of cultural norms around the 1800s. Uh, but there's there's vestiges of these threshold covenants that were practiced all around the world in many cultures. Uh, like when we when we shake someone's hand during a business deal, that's a that's a leftover of a threshold covenant where they would um, sacrifice the animal. That the two parties covenanting would dip their hands in the blood, and they would either put the handprints on the lintels of the door, or they would dip their hand in the blood and shake hands to seal it was a blood covenant of, of um, a mutual. <laughs> Yep, seal the deal. And so we see this carrying the bride over over the threshold during a honeymoon. And that that goes back to demonology, where this belief that um demons and, and vampiric type demons, if they were given invitation across the threshold, that they were now given access to that home. And so the bride would be carried over the threshold into her new home so that she wouldn't accidentally trip or stomp on the threshold or violate the threshold in some way as to invoke the the wrath of these household demons. And so it, it all kind of goes back to those threshold covenants. And yeah, until her husband doesn't amazing. realize how much she actually weighs and then he trips over the threshold. <laughs> Which usually yeah, happens. Right. Sometimes it backfires. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, one of the things that I think um, makes my book distinctive, I, I really set out to not regurgitate any information. So, all the stuff you see on the internet and the ghost stories and the campfire stories and the narcolepsy and the, you know, all the the silliness and, and you know, the stuff that's just getting copy pasted over and over and over again. Yeah. I, I really attempted to put this into terms that had not been, um, had, had not been arranged that way before. And so I, I talk a lot about these threshold covenants and how these entities, um, like the doorway um, is, is similar to the hupa, uh, the, the betrothal tent. And um, it, it links into uh, scriptures, Song of Solomon 5.2, Revelation 3.20. I mean, even Jesus has this concept of, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. And that's a threshold covenant where he's not going to break in through a window. He's going to knock on the door. He's not going to come in unless he's given invitation. Gotta so now we're, starting to, now we're starting to see like vampire mythology sure. coming, you know, you an, an entity from the spiritual realm, whether it's good or bad, they are not allowed over our threshold until we give it uh, permission. And so once it has that invitation and it crosses the threshold, um, and we see Jesus even doing this in Revelation 3.20. And that, unfortunately, that's kind of turned in in our culture, this whole covenant doctrine, this betrothal covenant that we make with 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 people on the, in the spirit realm, whether it's Jesus or whether it's something else. Um, they've kind of turned it into this childish Sunday school sort of analogy, like invite Jesus into your heart and he'll be your best friend. And that that it's so much more than that. It, it goes actually back to like this vampire mythology that we have because once you've offered a spiritual being invitation and it crosses your threshold there's only two ways to rid yourself of that covenant and one you know not the preferable one he can he can get you in the neck and you're dead <laughs> so you get out of the covenant because you're dead but the the only way to worm your way out of a vampiric covenant is if the ownership of the home changes hands uh, because he was given invitation by the, the the head of the home or the authority of that home, and so if that, that changes, he no longer has 
um, authority in that space. And he has to reclaim a new invitation from the new owner. And so what we're seeing in Revelation 3.20 and what we're seeing in like the salvation message that has been greatly kind of butchered in, in our culture is not this little, you know, making a best friend pack with Jesus. And, you know, you get your little best friend necklace and he wears half and you wear the other half. Like what this is, is a breaking of betrothal covenants that have been made with other entities in a spirit realm through these abduction experiences and through these astral experiences. And when we, when we consider our bodies now to be our temples and we invite Jesus into the temple, what he's doing is he's nullifying all of the prior, the prior covenants made because he's now the new owner of the home and he did not offer that invitation. And so it, it, the, the whole concept of inviting Jesus into your heart, which has really just been made into a childish kind of a, mantra now the the deeper understanding of that theology is it's a it's a betrothal covenant being made that nullifies any any covenants that you wittingly or unwittingly made with other spiritual beings um but th- this is all lost on modernity it's lost on our culture it's lost in discussions about the paranormal because we 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 have to now separate science from from the supernatural Sure. And I talk a lot about that in the book too, about ancient um, healing temples and the, the Asclepions and things like that. Yeah, I tell uh, people all the time, especially like with the uh, with the Ouija boards too. Uh, I always tell them, you know, don't mess with a Ouija board. One, but two, when you decide you're going to uh, use a Ouija board, whoever's house that they brought that Ouija board into, and that person said, "Okay, we're going to do it at my house." that's the person who ends up with the problem and people yes. don't, they don't realize that. And I, and, uh, or people tell me stories about stuff and they say, yeah, the girl who had the house, you yeah, know, we went over to her house and now she's got this thing. I said, because she was the one who would, who started this idea that she's going to do this and now it's going to come through her doorway. And then, but people just don't. So I, so that's why I tell them, don't anyone, don't anyone play with them because these Ouija boards were intended to be evil things. They were, they were, they were created for this. So people think it's a game. It's not a game. So, uh, so don't mess with them. Yeah. Amen to that. Amen to that. Yeah. It sounds like you really, uh, you really been through the ringer with all this. That's for sure. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, uh, I tell you what, and that's another, that's another thing that I find so interesting about about uh, the sleep paralysis experience too. Is every, anyone who's been through it, as, you know, frequently throughout the course of their whole life, it is a transformative process, yeah. and I think yeah. intentionally so. And you know, it, it tends to do one of two things uh, when because when you're especially when you're a child and you don't know what's going on and you don't have the benefit of life experience and doctrine and theology and you know all of the information you need, is it tends to either draw someone to a religious experience or it draws someone into a mystic experience but uh it changes us one way or the other on a soul level there's no way you can encounter these spiritual beings your whole life and not come to some sort of conclusion about the the makeup of the world and so um in in biblical through biblical lenses um, it, it's, uh, it's explained as a cosmic war. And I, I don't think a lot of people understand even Christians, like nowadays, when you hear people talk about Christianity, it's all about love and light and joy. And, you know, Jesus is kind of like this hippie character with his, you know, Hirachi sandals and his man bun, and he's just this nice guy. Right. But, um, what's, what's interesting to me is that, um, th- this, this cosmic war going on and we're kind of cannon fodder in the middle of it. Right. 
right? And what, what I think a lot of Christians don't realize is a lot of the analogies and the metaphors in, in the scriptures are military language. It's, it's, it's battle language. It's soldier general language. I mean, even the great commission, when Jesus is raising up into the sky and says, go ye therefore into all the world, preaching the gospel, the, the last words he gave on earth, it, it's not a speech. It's called the great commission. That's, that's military language if you're given a commission. And so I think a lot of people miss the fact that we are in this cosmic war. There's supernatural things going on between the veil. And whether you're of a religious persuasion of, of the biblical kind, or even if you are of the new age religion, they'll, they'll tell you on every side, even in the new age, they'll tell you, be careful in the astral. There are lower vibrational beings up there that you do not want to get caught up with. There's tricksters up there. And so everybody, everybody involved in this it can agree on the fact that not everything that appears as an angel of light is good. And not everything that appears as evil necessarily is evil. Um, I, I like to point out to people that if you if you study all of the encounters in the scriptures where human beings encountered an angel, so this is supposedly a good thing, a good guy in white from heaven comes down to give glad tidings or, or something like that. Um, most frequently, the first thing out of that angel's mouth is fear not, do not be afraid. He has to comfort the human who's now terrified. Uh, they, they're usually afraid. There's, there's verses that talk about prophets who their knees knocked together. They trembled. One of them fainted. Um, Daniel, I think, had to be touched and be revived because he actually lost consciousness. He was so afraid. And, um, and so that tells us that fear uh, is not always indicative that you're in the presence of something evil. And light and love, you know, you talk about people that have these experiences and they're filled with all of this emotion and they never felt anything like it before and they never wanted to leave the presence of that thing. But then we're also told in the scriptures that uh, the devil himself can appear as an angel of light. In fact, he was a beautiful angel. And a lot of people talk about, oh, he lost his looks when, when he rebelled, he became this ugly thing. But the scripture never says that he lost his looks or became an ugly thing. The only thing we're told about Lucifer is that he was beautiful. And so we can't just use our emotions and our guttural reactions and our feelings and our heart to direct us as to whether or not the beings that we're dealing with are good or evil. And people never know. Well, again, because we're taught that fear to fear everything, everything we don't understand, we should be in fear of. So, so whatever you see something, you're not you're not sure if that is something good or if it is something evil. So, so you are taught to fear everything, which you know makes perfectly sense because again we're just taught all this but but it, it but it depends on who exactly teaching us that's that's where it comes that's what it comes down to who exactly and and what's the agenda they have for teaching of us teaching yes. us all this stuff too sure is is it some type of power and control or is it they just want us to be afraid of everything so that the you know so that we can be rescued by them so uh yes yeah, absolutely oh absolutely. Absolutely. so uh so as a just as a, a quick thing, so uh, tell uh, not a quick thing, but so uh, tell my audience where we can find you at, where where they can find your books. Uh, do you have a website as well? I do. Yep, you can find me at vickyjoyanderson.com. and I do have a contact page on there if anyone wants to talk to me or share their experience with me. And uh, I've got uh, my latest book is They Only Come Out at Night. Exposing That's a cool looking cover. Awesome? <laughs> artist uh, designed that. Love it. Yeah, uh, they Only it. Come Out at Night, Exposing the Dark Weapon of Sleep Paralysis. This is available exclusively on lamarzuli.net. 
How many how many books have you written since you are a professional writer? Well, this is number eight, and wow. um, you know, I just started kind of getting into the fringe, the fringy stuff, maybe three or four years ago. And I write for RealDarkNews.com, and um, I work with a guy named Tom Dunn. We have a, a five nights a week. We're on YouTube doing Through the Black, and we talk about a lot of occult things and uh, SRA and uh, generational Satanism and, you know, through the black, exposing dark things through a biblical worldview. Um, so do a lot of stuff with with Tom. Tom was a protege of Russ Dizdar. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but Russ died about a year ago. And he worked um, in what he, he trained uh, satanic cult crime units um, for police departments and did a lot of research for occult crime and, and generational Satanism and satanic ritual abuse survivors and so tom was a a student of russ's and so we we do through the black um on youtube and the show's actually on six nights a week but my, i'm only on for five of those so still five nights a week man that's you got a busy schedule going on lady <laughs> yeah i do i do but how do you so find much. time to write books you know <laughs> I, mean, oh, oh my goodness. I don't know I, I don't know. You know, it, it's always, uh, you know, the life of a writer, you know, uh, the it, it's switching back and forth between the introvert and the extrovert. Like the introvert gets to enjoy all the the time alone up in the woods, in, in the cottage writing. Um, but then then the marketing part comes and then you're busy, busy, busy. Yeah, maybe it's all that training from uh, the sleep paralysis <laughs> stuff, you know, the, the sw switching your your the way that you sleep throughout the night and throughout the day. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah I, wow. I get That's more crazy. time packed in when you stay up till two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I used to stay up to two all the time. And then I wondered why I didn't get up until three o'clock in the afternoon because, you know, and then, then half your day's gone already. So what are you going to do at that point? Yeah, I know. Got to try to figure it out. So I started making myself go to bed early, but uh, yeah, I appreciate you coming on the show. I appreciate you uh, explaining all this stuff to my audience because I know the, they're going to have some type of interest on it, and uh, and I, I think it's pretty cool. I think it's a. I'm glad that you. I'm absolutely glad that you came on the show, and 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 I appreciate you coming on the show. And and is there any last words that you would like to give the the people out there who are listening? Yeah, I think I just want to talk to the people <clears> who. Who are having this experience and have had it their whole life and kind of are at the end of their rope and they're exhausted and they're feeling kind of hopeless or they're feeling alone. Um, just know that there there is a way to stop this harassment. And um, you know, you can find me on my website and you can send me a letter, whatever you need to do, but do not despair, do not lose hope. Uh not we are more, we're more than conquerors and we we actually we actually have weapons in in our arsenal that can overpower these things they they seem so much stronger than us and so much more intelligent than us and they're very clever but we we have the weapons to absolutely send them running so do not despair that's not my words of advice for people <laughs> my usually last words of advice when i'm doing an interview or or on someone else's uh show is uh be good and um don't do any stupid shit but uh, <laughs> hey i like yeah. that <laughs> yeah yeah but but i added to it now i said if you're gonna do stupid shit just don't get caught that's all but uh there you go. <laughs> awesome. Well, again, uh, Vicki Joy Anderson, uh, please get a hold of her. We will have uh, all her links, uh, all her ways to get a hold of her on the at, at the end of and at the beginning of the video, so people can find you and and uh, I wish you a success with your with your book and and with your career and and, and uh, again, I hope you be good and you don't do any stupid shit. But <laughs> but you know, but uh, you got to live your life the best way you can and. Uh, I appreciate everybody coming out to our show today and uh, be good and, you know, 
again, don't do the stupid shit. And then thank you for joining us here on Beyond the Veil with Daniel Jackson and me. Have a great day. Goodbye, everybody. This was Beyond the Veil with Daniel Jackson with Vicki Joy Anderson. Vicki's book, They Only Come Out at Night, Exposing the Dark Weapon of Sleep Paralysis, is available at prophecywatchers.com. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you next time on Beyond the Veil with Daniel Jackson.